Okay, everyone, welcome to the very latest Bolt from the Blue podcast. You've just heard the last one, which was put out there not so long ago, where myself and Ray were talking about the latest Harry Kane uh, transfer speculation. And that's that's why Colin Savage wouldn't have been there, because he doesn't have much of a, uh, a penchant for, for those kinds of things. Welcome, Colin. Uh, it's been a while. How are you? I'm really good. Um, it's great to be back with you two. It is, isn't it? When you're talking about you 2 you're also referring to, of course, Ray from City Fan TV on YouTube. How are you doing, Ray? I'm all right. When you talk about you 2 I thought you were going to call me Bono. <laughs> <laughs> Minus uh, long, uh, long hair. Yeah, I'm doing very well, very well. <laughs> looking forward to this uh, chat today. Yeah, but um, Colin, I, I've, I've read on Twitter that you're champing at the bit for this. Oh, absolutely, I am, yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. I mean, I think it's more bonehead than Bono <laughs> that we're going to be talking about. Anyway, guys, uh, let's just uh, tell you the purpose of this pod, and that is that we're going to do our best uh, to explain to you uh, about this kerfuffle on, on Twitter and also in the Daily Mail about FFP. Now, guys, you might have thought that this issue was over if you cast your mind back to July 13th, 2020. The Court of Arbitration for Sport effectively threw out UEFA's FFP case with just a 10 million euro wrap across the knuckles for being obstructive instead of a two-year Champions League ban and a 30 million euro fine. Now, we know that that investigation from UEFA was rushed, beset by leaks to the media, ultimately ending in the overturning of that two-year European ban. And we thought that was the end of it, but not so fast, not so fast. The Premier League has its own FFP rules separate to those of UEFA. So it was not only UEFA, but also the Premier League that had started investigations. But the difference was City and the Premier League had agreed right from the start to conduct their investigation or rather arbitration in private. Now, fast forward to this week. Nick Harris and his pals from the Daily Mail have been in celebratory mood on Twitter, as it seems that they reckon they can get the FFP case against a city publicly, not privately, publicly relitigated against the wishes of both City and the Premier League. Now, the Mail, uh, uh, the Mail on Sunday, apparently when nobody else was interested, successfully managed to get a journo into the Royal Courts of Justice to observe the arbitration case between City and the Premier League. And further, they were set free to publish their observations and also any court findings. So effectively, what this amounts to is that Manchester City have lost a court appeal to keep details secret of their financial fair play battle. 
with the Premier League. Now, some City fans have been worrying that the whole football leaks issue is about to blow up again. And this time, City might not be victorious. Now, let's go straight to Colin Savage to uh, uh, kick us off. What's this really all about, Colin? Let's start with the case that hit the courts this week and the verdict. This has been known about for a while. So I think it was back in March that that some documents came to light that there was a case ongoing involving City and the Premier League. But we didn't know what the nature of this case was. Uh, I found it difficult to believe it was related to financial fair play. When Der Spiegel made its revelations, let's call them, Premier League as well as UEFA opened their own investigation. Now, you may ask on what grounds they had done that. Uh, Basically, there were two grounds. One was that they have their own version of FFP, but it's a very light one. It's almost not worth talking about. The second reason, and probably more important, is actually the Premier League, if I understand it correctly, is the licensing authority for UEFA. They don't send it directly to UEFA. UEFA delegates that authority to the national bodies uh, of each country. So as far as I'm aware, the Premier League is the body that handles our financial fair play application, which, of course, involves getting a license to play in UEFA competitions. So the very real danger when this kicked off was that we had knowingly misled the Premier League in getting that UEFA license, Okay, to why the Premier League might have been investigating it. Uh, And there was a Premier League rule that uh, I think it was J7 or something that, that says if you've knowingly misled or, or mis- made any misstatements in relation to an application for a UEFA license. So basically, if we'd submitted false accounts, that's a Premier League offence. So that, I think, was the main investigated us. Now, so this has been going on since December 2018. So, so this has been going on for like two and a half years. And the Premier League have not come to any conclusion as yet. And of course, the CAS case has been and gone. Now, what we do know because of this case, we do have some more idea of what's been happening, although it's still not 100 percent clear. Uh, and Stefan has made this point quite um, forcibly. Now, this is not about the Premier League trying to punish us under financial rules directly. This case is not about the numbers. This is a, a procedural dispute. So what appears to have happened, and I'm not a lawyer, so I'm only going on what Stefan has said. And if anyone wants to read up on this, there was an excellent article by Stuart Brennan in the Manchester Evening News, which he credited Stefan for. And we know Stefan's impeccable background in deciphering these legal events. So what, what appears to have happened is the Premier League asked for evidence. And we, in the same way that we refused to give it to UEFA, refused to give it to the Premier League. And, and again, just to restate this, I suspect we'd spoken to our internal, external legal counsel and had been told that, Yes, we were quite justified in their view to withhold this information on probably on the basis of uh, we talked about before the cast case, fruit of the poison tree, meaning something which was stolen couldn't be used against you. Cas uh, dismissed that, but it, it makes no difference. But anyway, th- that was a Swiss jurisdiction. We're dealing in a different legal jurisdiction here. That then went to arbitration, an arbitration panel. And what appears to be the basis of this case and we can work out is We've challenged the validity of this arbitration process. Arbitration is going to cost a lot less. You're not you're not uh, employing uh, swathes of uh, expensive uh, lawyers, bar- barristers, whatever, uh, and you come to some sort of agreement rather than 
litigation kind of sounds like someone's suing somebody else. Uh, and I, I don't believe that's the case here. As I said, it's it's just a cheaper way of going through to get to the end result that you know both parties will have to take forward. Cheaper and binding, I think, Colin. Would that be right? Depends on the laws. Depends on the process that governs it. But right, right, I think Ray, as far as I understand, it was perfectly correct. It's a quick, cheap, and simple way to come to an agreement. So, um, yeah, there's many areas I think in which this happens. Um, there are religious courts, of course, and uh, you know that they try to come to an agreement. So, yeah, but it depends on the laws, uh, the rules of the process. And what appears to have happened here, there seems to be some grey area in the Premier League's rules itself, whereby they had to amend those rules early last year to reframe the process. So they'd already started this investigation, but the rules weren't clear and the Premier League had to reframe them. And, and I think this is what we've challenged in court. But again, we'll, we'll know when the judgment is published, which hopefully shouldn't be too long. So what has happened is we've gone to a judge. We've agreed to keep the process secret, by the way. To, to avoid the media leaks circus that happened with UEFA. So we've gone before a judge uh, and the, just, the, the judge was uh, Mrs. Justice Mulder, not yes. to be confused with Molden of Chippy fame. So, so Lady Justice Mulder basically took the Premier League side. This is about some very arcane legal process. It's not about the financial substance of the case. It's quite, you know, th there's no smoking gun there. She was basically deciding on, on jurisdiction and um, also uh, fairness and impartiality of the tribunal that uh, the Premier League had set up. I think the thing is, it's it's all about um, it's it's all about the rules. This isn't this is not as if uh, I think Collins already said they're not. It's all procedural. They're not looking at the actual case yet. We've not even got that far to look at any evidence. I think basically what they're saying is yes, you have to. Initially, it was yes, you have to give the evidence. Uh, no, it's not un un um, uh, unfair or, or, or biased, the, the panel. And I think latterly, what, what uh, has kicked up a stink in the last uh, week to the 10 days is that both the Premier League and City wanted the arbitration to be private. They wanted it to be secret, um, which is quite unusual. You know, you, you, you go to court on both sides. You know, are on the same side. <laughs> on the same side, they both want the same thing. City and the Premier League both wanted the same outcome from this uh, uh, appeal that we've 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 had recently. Um, they wanted the arbitration process to be totally private and secret, and then for the Premier League to be able to rely on on some precedents uh, with this in the future. And I think that's what's caused all this kerfuffle. But we we just I think I have to repeat: it's got nothing to to actually do at the moment with financial fair play at all. And one of the three judges uh, called what Ray described as having your cake and eating it. But anyway, Colin, um, let's continue. Original judge, Justice Mulder, arbitrated, uh, you know, made her decision and she wanted to publish the reason for why she made that decision. City and the Premier League, it's most important to remember that both City and the Premier League, as Ray said, wanted to keep this under wraps until it was concluded. Not that they wanted to keep everything secret. They wanted to keep it under wraps till everything was concluded. So avoid the sort of media circus. The judge didn't agree. City appealed. They appealed to a, a judge called Justice Males. He gave them permission to, to take the appeal forward. And that was the appeal that was heard 
at the High Court this week uh, that the Mail sent their reporter to, uh, Dan Matthews, which he confessed it was extremely tedious. What this case was about this week was, was the judge right to insist on publishing her, her reasoning for making the decision that she made? Uh, and basically, they said, yes, she was. Uh, so uh, and one of the reasons you just said was the Premier League wanted to rely on this decision in further cases. Two of the most senior judges, not the two most senior judges in the UK, said that was a nonsense thing to do, because how could you rely on precedent if no one knows what the precedent is? It, it, it's akin to having a speed limit on a road, but not putting signs up and not telling anyone what the speed limit is. So, you know, you're going along this thinking it's a dual carriageway, you can do 60. But in fact, the speed limit is 40. So you do 50 and you get banned. So, so that, that's the sort of argument that was being put forward. So what we will see now in this case is Mrs. Justice Mulder's reasoning for the decision she came to, uh, and we think it's about following the rules and arbitration, will be published. They made the case that, the, the, the three judges made the case that that's all it is. It's a very narrow scope very narrow focus of this finding. It has nothing to do with the Premier League finding whether we've cheated or not. It, as we've said before, and we'll say again, it's simply a procedural rules. So nothing will change once that is put. But of course, you know, no one ever misses an, an opportunity to have a go at City. It's interesting, isn't it, Ray, that this is as far as they've got to after two and a half years. Yeah, it's taken a long, long time. I think, if, if I remember correctly, the Premier League wanted to wait till the UEFA um, situation was sorted out with City, the FFP uh, and the CAS. I think they wanted everything to uh, have been sorted out before they really got to grips with it and, and went for to, to have a look themselves. It's taken a long time. I think one of the judges um, actually said that. You know, it's, it's quite remarkable. Two and a half years after starting this, we've really not got any further forward. Um, but what what gets me is you had and, and you know we've seen it. The mail they talk triumphantly as if this is definite. City have cheated, and we saw in the Athletic as well. They put a, 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 um, a, an article and they talk about City being found. You know, in their initial part of the stories talking about City being found guilty of cheating FFP. Later on, they say, oh, OK, uh, uh, City, were, it was overturned by, by Cass. But all the, the talk we've seen, in the little talk we've seen in the media, you know, people like uh, Herbert Ian um, jumping on as well, and others, and then all the fans jumping on and saying the same sort of thing. It's all that it's definite City have cheated. They now, they've lost this battle against... In, against the Premier, I mean, it's actually when you read it initially, it's like City have lost its battle against the Premier League in this court case. When actually the Premier League and City wanted the same thing; they wanted that secrecy, they wanted it to be private, yeah. and 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 it's all you know, all as usual. You know, the journalists and the fans point at City and saying, "You've been caught. You've done something wrong." And I'll be honest; at least ninety nine point nine nine percent of everybody who's looking at this has no idea what's going on. And they're just jumping on the bandwagon. Here's what we do know, guys. I'm just going to give a quick summary of the, the timeline events that um, Colin described. So August 20, what, 21st, 2019, Premier League issue a complaint against City seeking disclosure of relevant documents and information. But a City challenges their tribunal and said that it's not sufficiently independent or impartial. Then October 22nd, same year, 
the Premier League begin arbitration against City, uh, seeking a declaration that they are obliged to provide those documents. Then City tried to stop the arbitration by arguing that uh, the Premier League had no part to start it. February 14, 2020, so that's when UEFA banned City uh, originally for, for two years. June 2nd, 2020, Tribal rejected City's challenge to its jurisdiction and impartiality. Then City issued an application in the commercial court, repeating their argument that the tribunal doesn't have jurisdiction and is, and is biased. Then July 13, of course, we know that uh, UEFA um, lost its case against City with Court of Arbitration for Sport. November 2nd, arbitration between Premier League and City continues. And in March 17th, uh, as Colin mentioned, in the commercial court, Mrs Justice Mulder uh, dismissed City's challenge to the jurisdiction and impartiality of the tribunal. About a week later, the judge says that her judgment should be published. City successfully seek permission to appeal that in the Court of Appeal. Nearly finished now. Uh, May the 12th this year, apparently the Mail on Sunday write to City and the Premier League asked to be shown details of Mrs Justice Mulder's judgment. But uh, City won't play ball. June the 30th, the Court of Appeal opens its hearing into City's appeal against publication of uh, Mrs. Mulder's uh, judgment. The Mail responds by sending a barrister to the court and they get last minute permission to, to attend those proceedings. And that's where we get to uh, this week where the Court of Appeal basically said, no, Manchester City, your appeal is denied. This is all fine, they can go ahead. And of course, this is when Nick Harris and his mates from the Daily Mail whooped in delight and began threads on Twitter and putting publications, uh, pieces into the Daily Mail. Very, very triumphalistic, Colin. And I don't really know what they were being so happy about, because I think what is going to what people are going to see is basically a city dragging their heels about uh, issuing documents. That's pretty much it. Well, I think what Nick Harris is triumphant about is he's probably earned enough money to pay his car insurance. Um, because he doesn't work for them. Well, He's a freelance. Uh, he used to have a company called Sporting Intelligence. That appears to be dormant. Where he's earning his money, I'm not sure. So obviously he will have been paid for this, probably paid quite ham. So that's the, the air of triumphalism, I say. He can probably pay his bills again. Well, one reaction to all of this is the issue of the statute of limitations. Now, with UEFA, we know in its decision, they were hampered by the fact that a lot of uh, items that they wanted to have heard were time barred because there's a five year statute of limitations. Now, a lot of people were, were asking in the Premier League case against City, which was ongoing after cast throughout UEFA's case against City, aren't they subject to some statute of limitations as well? Well, that's what uh, Stefan has been saying. And I think Stefan has looked again and again and again uh, at this. And he he's, uh, seems to be firmly of the belief that it is. Uh, you know, the six-year statute of limitations, let's say, then people come back and talk about fraud and you can go back 20 years. Well, you know, uh, back from my tax days, yes, you can. You, the tax man can go back 20 years. I don't think the Premier League can, you know, if, if there's a case of fraud um, with submitting your tax returns. This isn't a tax return. This is uh, to do with the Premier League. So, you know, I'm right now, I'm rather 
more inclined to believe Stefan Bolson, who is a qualified lawyer, rather than big fat Tony Evans, who's a glorified fanzine uh, contributor. That's absolutely right. Just because the Premier League doesn't state any limitation, time limitation in their rules, doesn't mean that a limitation doesn't apply. There's a standard UK limitation of six years under UK law. Stefan said that as well, uh, Colin, he said that although it isn't expressly stated that those that that arbitration would be subject to UK law in which there is a six year statute of limitations. Yeah. So so that pretty well applies. Uh, If we take Hamish's article, I I mean, this is where the the first uh, piece of nonsense comes in, because he talks about 2010, 2011. Etihad paid four million instead of the 12 million we'd invoice. Now, Financial fair play didn't cover 2010-11, so it's complete red herring. So anything that involves 2010-11 is absolute, complete red herring, irrelevant. So, so that's number one kind of dismantling of Harris's article. And of course, he's, what he's talking about is 2013-14, I think, mainly. I will never forgive you for making me read this article, Michael Long, <laughs> but... So, so, and when we take that statute of limitations, you was that it was six years from the date of the charges, which were February 2019. So they could only go back to 2013-14 financial year. We have to remember the, the Premier League has not charged us with anything. Again, if the same principle were to be applied, that you could, they could only go back, if the Premier League charges tomorrow, then they could only now go back to 2015. So anything before 2015-16 wouldn't be, wouldn't be relevant. And that's why the uh, article that I made you read, Colin, is so ridiculous, because it talks about a smoking gun and shock emails that, shock emails that could prove City did cheat. Um, but they're talking about uh, basically an email uh, pertaining to 2011. So All these emails out in, let's say, the public domain anyway, because de- yep. from the Dave Spiegel leaks, it's nothing new here. And I've, I've got to say this, and I, I will choose my words extremely carefully. Now, I've, I've, you know, I, I, I don't want um, to get this wrong, uh, but uh, I mean, I didn't want to read the article because uh, the fact it was it had something to do with Nick Harris. Now, in, in my opinion, Nick Harris is a lying bum. And as I said, I'm choosing my words carefully. A couple of years ago, in, in the in the battle of the bottom feeders. In the Rabin incident, that people might remember from a few years ago, it was Nick Harris who turned out to be the lowest of the law. I mean, the, the bar had already been set very low indeed by Andy from Man, uh, Man City Fan TV. I'll throw that in. And Nick Harris man, managed to limbo underneath that bar with some of the with his behaviour and any speck of credibility that he could ever uh, hold on to. Um, you know, he, he 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 that was submerged in. Let's try and keep it polite. In in the in the in the sewer that he was uh, he found himself in and uh, that he was shooting from. So my opinion of Nick Harris is extreme. I, I couldn't hold him in a more contempt. He's really one of the lowest of the law. There's quite a few of the, those uh, journalists out there who who are feeding at the uh, at the bottom. So. I was reluctant to read that article as well, just just because um, of his status or the, how how I uh, how I feel about him. I'm just wondering where those journalists or uh, in in scare quotes. I'm putting this in scare quotes. 
where where they think this is going because ultimately what will come out is that the Premier League and City wanted to keep this quiet. The Premier League wanted to be able to use this situation as a precedent in case they should have disputes with other clubs in the future. But all told, what will basically come out is what basically happened in the UEFA case that City don't want to, or in their words, dragging their feet over supplying sensitive uh, documents and emails, etc., which is exactly what happened in the original case. And uh, they are basically speculating or hoping that if they are forced to uh, submit these uh, documents, then something else might um, might emerge that they can run with. Potentially that's the case, but I say, I believe City are um, applying the same principles that they applied to UEFA, that, that this whole thing was, I say, the fruit of the poison treaty, legal term, and you're not allowed to go on a fishing expedition. When you're looking for information, you can't say, give me what you've got. You've got to say, we want X, Y, and Z, because we believe there's an issue in that. So that's quite clear. Um, fishing expeditions are not allowed. One of the reasons why this has taken so long, there's very little the Premier League could have done before the CAS verdict anyway. But then, obviously, this has been dragging on for the last year. Now, I don't think the Premier League are going to come with anything because it's all been dealt with. Uh, and say we're talking about this supposed smoking gun email. Let's have a look. So, so the date on it is December the 16th, 2013. So we're talking eight years ago. So the author of the email is Simon Pierce, is a member of the Executive Affairs Authority in Abu Dhabi. It's sent to a man called Peter Baumgartner, who I think is the chief or chief operating officer of Etihad at the time. And it talks of the, the, the way that Etihad would be paying the money. So, so there'd been some toing and froing. Basically, what he was saying was that the Executive Affairs Authority was supplying some of the money for the Etihad sponsorship. And Etihad were only providing a portion of it out of their own funds. Well, you'd know that if you followed me, I was saying that ages ago. In fact, I think Nick Harris quotes a source close to City. He might be talking about me, but I've known about this for many years, and uh, which is why I've never been worried about. So Harris is only bringing up stuff that we, we already know about. And more importantly, it was all covered at CAS. And what was said at CAS, what Etihad said was, Yes, they only paid a certain amount out of their own marketing budget, but the rest came from what they call central market fund held by Abu Dhabi to promote the country and its companies. And that was all made clear at CAS. And I've always said this, that this is where I disagreed with Stefan on, on one small point. Stefan always said that it didn't matter where, where Etihad got the money from because they paid it all to us and they got a service that was commensurate with what they paid in return. My argument to that was that only counts as long as that money couldn't be shown to come from Abu Dhabi United Group, who are a related party to Manchester City, because that was the whole point of the FFP regulations. That owners weren't allowed to slip in money that are disguised as sponsorship when it was really should have been what we call equity funding. So money that should have been paid in uh, as, as return for shares being issued. So that was the only point of principle that Stefan and I disagreed on, and I still think I was right on that. And that was the whole focus of the UEFA investigation and the CAS hearing. So th this is no smoking gun. This very email, it's time bar because it's all been discussed at CAS. And CAS have emphatically said that we did not disguise 
equity funding as sponsorship. So and, there is no smoking gun. Now, one thing I did want to talk about, Ray, is that I don't know why people are posting this. It's almost like they're throwing it into the whole um, equation to uh, stoke up or radicalize um, op opposition supporters. But uh, somehow it's made its way in there. This observation that between 2010 and 2020, um, City racked up 600 million uh, euros in commercial revenue, uh, far, far outstripping Manchester United, uh, Liverpool. I think City, I think the, the, the what people are talking about is 600 million more than clubs like Arsenal and yeah. Liverpool. I beg your okay. pardon. Uh, City's commercial income at the last count was about 230, 240 million euros. So I think the cumulative thing over the last 10 years, to which I simply put, yeah, but who's won five league titles in the last 10 years? City have been the most successful club in England uh, in that time. You would expect City to, you know, people can talk about the fan base and the empty had and no fans and no global and all that. But, you know, you would expect the team that is the most successful to be right up there bringing in some of the most commercial income. And look, what once again, and this is something that um, Khaldun al-Mubarak talked about two or three years ago, about other clubs, about, he was talking about transfers, but he says other clubs are making mistakes and they try to uh, blame City for their mistakes in, in, in what the mistakes they've made in the transfer market. You know, City generally made successful uh, transfers in the last few years. Other clubs have been more hit and miss. And, and because it's been more hit and miss, it's hurt them. Um, and just because Liverpool, I'll use them as an example, weren't maximising their commercial income, their commercial income potential, why should that, the fact that City managed to leapfrog them, be held against City? Now, it's, it's changed. Liverpool, in, um, you know, in, the, in the time of, uh, let's say, Hicks, Gillette and Hicks, were not maximising their uh, potential commercial income. And they weren't winning much either, apart from the, the odd trophy here and there. Um, on, under FSG, immediately FSG have come in. They've looked to maximise their income. Uh, I mean, you know, they went with, uh, was it Warrior? Was it Warrior they started with uh, for, for the shirts? We went with New Balance from the States. You know, the funny thing is, you know, when, when FSG, an American um, business, take out sponsorships for Liverpool with American companies, no one says anything. But when Manchester City, owned by Sheikh Mansour from Abu Dhabi, when Man City make deals with companies from the United Arab Emirates, or Abu Dhabi, actually, I think it was, um, there's something wrong with that. I, 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 I don't really understand. So just because other clubs weren't maximising their potential commercial income, why are people pointing the finger at City and saying, you're doing something wrong? No, actually, City, you could, you could argue, are doing something right, and other people are not doing as well. United were miles ahead of everybody else. Um, and I think people go back to that Etihad deal, that groundbreaking Etihad deal, the Etihad shirt sponsorship, which was, I think, if I'm right, £400 million over 10 years. But that included building that training facility, which are, at the time, I, I think it was estimated that was going to cost about £100 million out of that £400 million. There was the stadium naming rights, which were apparently about five or ten million pounds a season so i think city were all, all i say only only getting about 25 million pounds for shirt sponsorship um which on a 10-year deal which what, what, what it was supposed to be it was actually quite low because within about five or six years you had 
Uh, Chelsea getting, I think, £60 million from Yokohama Tires. Arsenal getting 50 or £60 million quid. United getting, you know, 50-odd million from Chevrolet. So other clubs, uh, leapfrog And Arsenal, I can use them as an example. When they went to the Emirates, they got a massive sponsorship, or in, in terms of uh, number of years, from Emirates, uh, the airline. But to, coming to, I think it was at least 10 years, coming towards the end of that, they were actually... Um, getting paid way below than what the norm would be. And when then the next um, agreement came up, and I think they, they went up nearly doubled what they were getting previously. So, you know, if you do sign a 10-year agreement, it might sound really good at the start or you're getting too much money. But by the end of that 10 years, you're actually way below your competition. So I, I don't have a, a massive problem with that. And UEFA didn't have a problem with that, that deal. They said it, it was at market or fair value. I think in in the end they, they they had no problem with it, so I don't see why opposition fans have a problem with it. Yeah, I think um, guys, what really triggers people without a real deep understanding of what what is going on, they see a lot of money coming in from uh, organisations in Abu Dhabi or the United Arab Emirates, and just uh, conclude, oh, there's something fishy going on there. There must be. And the other thing is that they keep going on about again and again and again, as I think we've dealt with, is uh, a disparity in the amounts uh, provided in certain deals between the sponsorship companies and um, and the idea that uh, that most of the money or a lot of the money is actually coming from uh, Sheikh Mansour himself. And um, I think we've kind of dealt with that. But coming back to the case, uh, Colin, I'm just going to read out a quote from um, uh, Stefan Borson about where he thinks this is all leading to. He says, and I quote, even on an ambitious timetable, if City were charged with something serious, I doubt it would be all done and dusted much before this before this side of 2023. So if they're only at this stage, Colin, you know, just arguing about the the legitimacy of the tribunal and whether some judge is allowed to disclose her reasons for siding with the the Premier League on that. If they're only at this point after two and a half years, I mean, where are they going? Where are they going to go? I mean, how much longer is that going to take? I'll, I'll defer to Stefan because um, you know, I'm not a legal expert, but I mean, one of the reasons, say, the Premier League had to wait until the CAS verdict, in my view, was because that that would then prove or disprove. Um, misled the Premier League, who, as I said, were the UEFA delegated licensed souls, to get our UEFA license to play in Champions League competition. It's the natural question, Colin. Having observed uh, what went on with UEFA and in the subsequent, particularly the subsequent CAS finding, would the Premier League not be very well advised to say, well, we're not going to find out anything more. We, We might as well just let it lie. Well, that's what I suspect will happen because we don't know in these things. But all this argument has been about the procedural issues. So let's assume that we've handed over the documentation, that all this arbitration thing is now settled. The Premier League, I suspect, will they might give us a slap on the wrist for not cooperating. We did not disguise um, equity funding as sponsorship revenue. So unless we've done something that we don't know about, then the Premier League uh, they've licensed us correctly. You know, we we've given them correct accounts. We've given them correct the correct detailed financial information that they ne- we need to provide 
to establish that we're able to play, we've met the requirements we're able to play in the Champions League, um, I don't see where else they can go with this. I suspect after all they say, we'll fizzle out. I'm just trying to put myself uh, into the, the, the brains of people like um, Tony Evans and Nick Harris, uh, etc. Find them first. Uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, look, they, look, p- people are um, clutching at straws. I, I said, I'll go back to the Centurion season, 2017-18, when we were swatting everybody aside, uh, you know, going on massive record-breaking runs. And it's around that time that people started pushing things about net spend and you know, fans and a few journalists were, were, de- were going down that route. And it's simply because they, they couldn't compete with us on the pitch. Teams can't compete with us on, with us on the pitch. So they start talking about net spend. They start talking about the empty had. You know, they have to attack us for anything off the pitch. And if you, you know, for, let's be honest, most football fans should be focused on what's going on on the pitch. You shouldn't really be too, I don't think anyway, fussed about shenanigans off the pitch. You know, if you go back 10 or 20 years, most people weren't bothered about what was going on off the pitch. And suddenly, why has it suddenly become popular? So I just think people are clutching at straws. They're talking about stuff they have no idea about. And because in in, in this day, day and age now, people tend to be quite polarised. They've made it, uh, they're you know they've come to a conclusion or an opinion and they're not going to sway from that they're not going to change from that and they're going to keep fighting the corner even if they know in their heart they're wrong here's another thing i'd like your comments on colin i mean this that was reported breathlessly by uh, <clears throat> nick harris and his colleagues and that is that the revelation mr pinto who is the um, the alleged whistleblower who provided um, the leak uh, der spiegel leaks he is prepared to assist the Premier League with their investigations. Um, and that was met with a one-line killer response from uh, Stefan, who simply put, Pinto is irrelevant to the Premier League investigation. Thoughts? That's for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And, and, and don't forget that um, De Spiegel had millions of emails, and all they could find was seven, and which they had to, had to cobble two of those together to make something that sounded a bit more dramatic than it actually was. Uh, Ray, is this a perfect definition of storm in a teacup, the emperor's new clothes? Well, yeah, you're right. There's, look, there's really nothing going on, if we're all honest about it. Most, as I said, most of what people are talking about is irrelevant. It's totally irrelevant and, and they don't understand it. So right now, this, uh, you know, what we said an hour ago at the start of this pod is, you know, people are talking about City as if we're guilty of something and we're going to fail FFP and we, we're cheats and, and everything else. And I, I've you know, talked to a few people on social media today and I just give up because I'll be honest, some, I'm still having some of the same arguments I had seven or eight years ago with people. And I just think if you, if you can't accept it now that you're wrong, you know, and it, and it doesn't matter what we say, then what's the point of talking to them anymore? It is a storm in the teacup currently. I don't think it's ever going to get out of the teacup. So as far as I'm concerned, it's just business is normal. Carry on. Uh, if if something something comes up, then we'll deal with it. But why worry about it? That's what I tell City fans. What you're worried about, just just let it happen and see see what happens. Colin, is there anything more really to be said about this matter? No, I, I don't think there is. I've said it all along. There is nothing more to be said about this. The Premier League, we've been involved in a legal battle with the Premier League. It's about some arcane rules and processes and, and stuff like that. Once that's all resolved, I, I simply don't see 
that there is any, going to be any further action. But of course, that won't stop the usual suspects from coming out with the stuff they, the rubbish they come out with. Moaning and whining and moaning and whining. It's really, really terrible. It's dead. Forget it. It's dead. Colin never likes to talk about uh, transfers, but uh, since we've got him on, what we could do is talk about uh, the sort of financial ramifications of some of the proposed um, transfer dealings. It's worth talking. It's worth talking about the financial side. So, as you say, a transfer is never done till till the player's announced and is holding or wearing the shirt and signed the contract. But I never. Give us your take then on on uh, the numbers being uh, thrown about in a potential Harry Kane transfer, just for just for fun. Well, I think Spurs need to do this. He seems to want to come. The problem is, is I think he's still got three years on his contract, uh, and the problem is dealing with Daniel Levy. But um, so I've no idea whether this will happen or not. Even if Kane wants to come, even if we want him, even if we've got the money, it could all fall down. So who knows? But in terms of our finances. Of course, and this probably this is one reason why this story is out because of all the you know it, it's a great way to amplify the, the view that City are cheats and and uh, you know we don't play by the rules of course. Uh, so, but yes, everyone took a hit last financial year because we had no revenue coming in from crowds and a lot of the revenue from broadcasting was withheld because we weren't playing games. Now, of course, what happened was. After the year end, so after July, wasn't it? Games picked up again, both domestically and in Europe. So all the money that was withheld will flow through. And it will be added to the money we got because basically we completed a full season. All right, there were no crowds. We'll still lose some money from that. But, but all the money from broadcasting will flow through into the current financial year, which ended 30th of June. Well, it ended a month ago. So but we'll get the money we didn't get in 2019. So there will be a lot of money, despite despite people saying there won't be much cash about. Actually, for clubs that are well run, there will be, I think, there will be a lot of cash sloshing around. Yeah, you're really just going back to what we were talking about in the previous uh, pod, I read a, a very interesting article which uh, argues quite convincingly that on the basis of the deals that City have done, uh, players outgoing so far, and what City remain to do, they are fully expecting to earn a total of at least 100 million euros from player sales. What do you think about that? The argument is that there's already 50 million in the coffers as it stands. Yeah, look, I, I think we, we, we mentioned names briefly. We talked about people like uh, 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 Yangel Herrera, Pedro Porro, uh, people who've already got Lucas Nemecha, Illich, um, Jack Harrison deal went through. The... This talk of uh, the Angelina money came in this year, uh, in this uh, current accounting period. Um, we were, pe- some people have mentioned that the Leroy Sani money actually came through this accounting period because it came after 30th of June last year, uh, if I'm right. So there's there's a lot lot going on in this in this year and in, in, the, in the year to come. So there's a lot of money coming in, and I've also uh, mentioned that the fact that City and Spurs. If they do a deal, uh, which involves players as well, um, Harry Kane, we, we, we briefly mentioned Harry Kane coming here to City and uh, Jesus going the other way as a, as a lightweight or anybody. Uh, and I said I can see um, you know, a number of £160 million for Harry Kane simply because they'll inflate Harry Kane coming to City, helps Spurs 
have a massive profit in their accounts on the sale of him, even bigger than it should be. And if we, you know, inflate the price of someone, let's say like Jesus going the other way, we'll make some more money um, in accounting terms uh, for our FFP purposes and in our profit loss account. So I can see some numbers being. Um, <laughs> I can't use the word fiddled. I think that's that's quite wrong. But um, uh, being a bit larger than you'd expect, like like with the Danilo deal, you know, Danilo was never worth thirty odd million pounds, uh, but that's what he seemed to go for to to, to Juventus. And um, Cancelo came the other way, a little bit higher than I would have expected for Cancelo. So it helped uh, each team. So I think financially, yeah, there's a lot of money coming in. Uh, I think financial fair play wise, we're going to smash it. Um, Sim, I think we made 126 million loss in the last account, uh, accounts, and uh, as Colin has quite rightly said, you know, th- there's a, that's a combination of uh, TV money being delayed. It's a combination of not having fans in the stadium for, for several games that must have cost us 15 or 20 million quid and other bits and pieces. And I think you know when it when it all comes through it together at once, and especially if we get fans back in stadium from uh, um, August and it's full stadium then I think that the numbers will roll out. And we actually might make a humongous accounting profit, the biggest you know, we, we're, we're probably ever going to make unless you've got some similar odd circumstances in the future. Yeah, it's, it's, got, it's quite interesting. If those player sales uh, that are reported, their city's plans for player sales are realised and it really does reach 100 million, then that's a, a sizable contribution to any uh, transfers that we would want to make. But... Um, Colin, it, it's interesting, isn't it, that um, so I'm not going to accuse the, the male journalists of, uh, of, of, you know, tactical timing concerning, you know, blowing this up into or attempting to blow this, uh, this ruling up into something bigger than it is. But um, the idea of City getting Kane and also Grealish, who we haven't talked about, that would really boil some urine. And, it, you know, I don't know if there's a connection there, but um, I, I just wonder whether people are, you know, stirring the, this up uh, in advance of that possible reality. Uh, well, I, it's entirely possible, isn't it? Um, I'd say I said that just a few minutes ago, that it, it could be just um, a, a way of positioning, um, positioning the media, the fan base, the public opinion, for the fact that, oh, here, City is cheating, but yet they can spend a hundred and something million on Kane and Grealish. Well, you know, there's going to be a lot of money coming in. And it's not just about the cash, it's about the bottom line. So uh, you know, we probably report a big profit on Sana. But, uh, when we sell a youngster, actually, that's really good because that's virtually all profit. So, I mean, Kelechi and Acho, when we sold him, we sold him for 25 million. But that's, so that's, um, you know, these are all things that affect the bottom line. So, but yeah. I think there's something in the fact that this is a preemptive strike. But at the end of the day, you know, they're not City's accountants. In the end, City will do what um, what what they do. And um, they'll know why they're doing it. They know how they're doing it. They know what they're doing. And nothing Nick Harris or uh, Ian the Herbert says will, will affect that. Uh, Ray, it seems to be that, it seems to be that so far the, the result of... Um, Nick Harris's uh, trolling on Twitter has only really snared Ian Herbert so far. <laughs> um, do you expect um, the usual suspects to uh, to line up and join in? I don't. Honestly, if, if you'd like to think at some point they have more sense than to join in because they'll just get roasted. 
Uh, that's what tends to happen with the usual suspects. They get roasted, they get eaten alive. There are people out there who uh, have got a lot more sense and knowledge than they have. People like Stefan, people like uh, Colin and a few others. Uh, and they just whip them to shreds. And all they've got to fall back on is the fact that they're, in, in, in quotes, journalists. And some of them write for national uh, newspapers. That's all they've got to fall back on. That's, and they've got a bigger reach, you know. Uh, and that's it. But credibility-wise, uh, most of them, you know, they're in the gutter. So you'd like to think that. I, I don't think too many have jumped on the bandwagon yet of the journalists because they have no idea what's going on. And, um, you know, as I said, I, I, maybe, there is no bandwagon to jump on. Yeah, there's nothing to jump on. Well, oh, but, but Colin, you're, you're, you're assuming they, they've got some intelligence to, to realise there's no bandwagon, no bandwagon to jump on. I think it's, it's a bit of, some of them will realise there's nothing to jump on and others will realise that they're out of their depth. They don't know what's going on, so they're just staying clear. And they've seen people like Tony Evans get slashed, um, you know, and Ian Herbert get spanked. And they're thinking, well, what's the point? Because they're onto a loser because they've, they've got nothing to, um, to, it's like taking a, yeah. you know, a water pistol to a fight at the, uh, the OK Corral. I mean, they, and they're the ones with the water pistols. Mm-hmm. It gets some clicks. They won't bother. But the way the media tends to work is, one paper, so the mail will come out with a Saturday night exclusive, and the rest will all pick up on it quite quickly. But no, none of the I've not seen anything in the Guardian. Not that I spend my days leaping for the Guardian. Nothing in the Times. Even our friend Mr. Delaney at the Independent. Um, only Tony Evans at the Independent picked this up, and he say so he got a sound roasting from uh, others, me included. So n- none of the biggies are picking this up, but because they, I, I, I think most of them have got the sense to know it's an absolute pile of sensationalist nonsense. It will get them nowhere. Okay, well, guys, I think let let's finish off with um, something uh, more directly related to matters on the pitch, um, and I'll pander to our uh, listeners uh, who have been starved of of Colin Savage's uh, thoughts um, for a while about football matters. Um, Colin, you fancy Harry Kane in Grealish, and uh, what are your thoughts about that? Thinking about what the team might look like next uh, this season. Well, I. I've always said that Grealish, to me, understands what Pep is trying to do. And he's never played for Pep. He understands how to move in the spaces, how to move in the channels, where to be, where to position himself, what moves to make. And I think Grealish would be a great signing for us. I've always said this. Mm -hmm. And Kane? I think we could do with a centre forward. But but, Torres, Ferenteros is doing a great job when he plays for Spain. And he did a great job for us at the end of last season as well. So, uh, yeah. We've still got uh, Gabby Jay, who didn't come alive last season at all, but still got some important goals. So, yeah, it, it would be nice to get both Kane and Grealish. Uh, the story is that Bernardo has wanted to leave for a little while. So I, I assume that when and if we get Grealish in, um, Bernardo will be allowed to depart. Colin, do, do you worry that, do you think uh, Grealish worries? He's, he's been um, at the Euros for England. He's obviously a big fish. He's the main man at, uh, at Aston Villa. So would Grealish, would he be worried to think, hang on, if I'm going to, to a city side that's got Foden, Sterling, Ferran Torres, if Bernardo's still around, Mares, uh, Gundogan and uh, Kevin De Bruyne, where do I fit in? Where do I start? And, and unless he, he backs himself to be able to, um, to get a first team start, do you think he's going to be happy to spend his time as a bit part player, as a super sub? 
um, you know, when we've got this wealth of talent? That's a very good question. Um, we don't know, do we? We don't know what assurances that he may or may not have been given. So are you going to swap Villa for Manchester City uh, and win things, even you know, if you play 20 games a season? Whereas, you know, you might play, what, 45 at Villa? You, play, you might play 25 at City, start 25 at City. But you're going to come out with medals around your neck. Yeah, yeah. yeah there is that. Um, Ray, um, just something that we've never talked about before, but piqued my interest. Do you think that the, there was a lot of talk about Nuno Mendes? Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to mention him. Yeah, but it's just because we haven't mentioned that and uh, whether City have enough faith in, in Mendy that they wouldn't uh, try to send him out on loan somewhere no. and bring it someone like that. Honestly, I don't think City have got any faith in Mendy. He's been here four seasons. He's played for Man City in four seasons, 73 games in the last four seasons, 80 competitive games. But he's not done bad. He's won a World Cup. He's won uh, three Premier League titles, four Carabao Cups and an FA Cup. It's not bad. Um, probably fewer than 80 games. But, you know, the first two seasons he was injured um, for most of the time. And the last two seasons, he's just, not, in my opinion... He's just not been good enough. So, um, you know, for me, I don't want Zinchenko as my first choice left back. I'm happy with Zinchenko as a, as a, a second choice, uh, you know, a, a bench player. But I want someone better than Zinchenko um, starting games for me at left back. And if we get somebody, that will make our team stronger. And that's what I focus on. I want our team to be stronger, not our bench, you know, one of the mistakes Liverpool have used, just used them as an example have made over recent years. They've bought bench players. They've not bought players, too many players, that will go into their first team and make their first team better. They've been focusing on making their bench better. I want to focus on making our first team better because it needs to be. We need to keep improving. Um, and if you make your first team stronger, it'll make your bench stronger. Because for argument's sake, let's say you, you brought in somebody uh, who was better than Riyad Mahrez. That player would play instead of Riyad Mahrez. Riyad Mahrez would go on the bench. He'd make your bench stronger. So I, I just think, you know, for me, that, that's what I want. I want a couple of players. Nuno Mendes at left back. He's he's a young kid. You know, the, I, I talked about this many many months ago. What that there may be a deal to be done with. I'm trying to remember, he's at Sporting, isn't he? That's where we sent Pedro Porro. So there may be a deal to be done uh, on the numbers there um, and. Where, where, where both sides can be uh, happy um, with us getting him and, and them keeping Pedro Porro. So, but that we've not heard really anything about left back. Now, all we've heard, you know, in the in the rumours this summer tends to be Grealish and Kane, and nothing about left back where we know City needs somebody. Well, it's interesting, guys, isn't it? We've got um, only one real pre-season game coming up um, before the. The community shield that's against Preston isn't it and um, I think it was in the Manchester Evening News and elsewhere I've been reading about what kind of a team that um, City will put out looks like there's only going to be maybe four uh, senior players there of which one when I say senior player is going to be um, our esteemed uh, third place goalkeeper I think you're going to have uh, Fernandinho there as well but it uh, looks quite interesting in that we're going to get to see a whole bunch of youngsters that we haven't really seen uh, too much of. Are you looking forward to seeing that? It's going to be played indoors, I believe, uh, Colin. Well, it's going to be played behind closed doors at the uh, CFA. Um, am I looking forward to seeing it? Well, I always look forward to seeing football, but it's always nice to see City in the pre-season game. 
see some of the kids. But for me, the action, you know, once the Premier League kicks off, I'm afraid. And uh, Ray, remind us of who your first game is against. Well, we've got the Community Shield against uh, Leicester. And then we're going to play away at Spurs. Uh, so the hurricane deal will happen after we play at Spurs. There's no way Daniel Levy. I don't think he could he could take yeah. it if um, we we get Kane and then Kane. You know, it'll be a horrible atmosphere. I think uh, at Spurs. Uh, the, I think the fans will be reasonable with Kane unless he hands in a transfer request or goes on strike, which I don't expect to happen to make this deal happen. Uh, but I think Levy will be getting in the neck, especially if Kane you know, turn rocks up. Uh, in a city in city blue and scores a hat trick. I'm a bit gutted actually that City were actually supposed to be playing on the 31st of July in France in uh, against Estac Troy. Uh, Troy, uh, it's about two just I think just under two hours from Paris, if I remember correctly. And they're a, a CFG club, so a, a sister club of Manchester City. And I'm gutted because. I was going to go to that game. I'm actually in France right now, and I could have gone to that game. I got my Estat Troy shirt because they, they won promotion last season uh, to uh, the top division in France. I was really looking forward to that. Um, I think they've rearranged. They're going to play Marseille at home instead uh, at Troy. But uh, I just think that's that's interesting. And to mention them, I think a couple of kids from South America that City have bought. I think what's his name? Kick. Etinho. Etienne and Kiki, is it Kiki? Yeah. Kiki. So I think they're going to test that try. So it's just another example of City using the clubs that we've got in Europe, like uh, Lomaleske, where they've got um, Ismail Boussaf, an uh, Algerian kid. Um, and then um, using Estat try where we're going to send some kids, maybe Girona as well in Spain, to send these young players where they, they won't get a work permit to come to England, send them to uh, around Europe. Uh, if they can, if they make it and they can get a work permit, then they might end up at City. So uh, I'll be interested to see um, how how these players develop uh, this season. I'm just looking forward to getting to the back to the football rather than talk about Premier League arbitration procedures <laughs> that may or may not be legal. Or... Absolutely, absolutely. But there are people that take a keen interest in these kinds of things, and uh, that's uh, a, a, an an itch that we were hoping to scratch in this pod. We hope that we've scratched it for you, but. Uh, Let's thank the, the, the two guys uh, for coming on. Uh, thank you very much, Ray. Uh, it's always a pleasure, Mike. And thank you very much, Colin. Good to have you back. Likewise. I'm looking forward to getting back in the routine again. <laughs> OK, guys. Well, there you have it. Um, we hope that uh, you enjoyed that. And, of course, uh, I'll finish off in the normal way by saying, have one on us. Have a good ice-cold one on us. And up the blues. Up the blues, guys.